Cult podcast features adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence and is not recommended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Seriously. If you like our podcast, follow us on Instagram at Cult Podcast or follow us on Twitter at Cult Podcast Show for show updates. And please rate and review our show on iTunes. If you've been in a cult and you want to tell us about it, email us at cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require monetary or physical sacrifices as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organization in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Marie Bella. We've got Mondo with us and Robert Timothy. Nice to meet all of you, except, of course, for Paige, who I've known for a while. We're both stand-up comics. I'm actually a science comedian. I'm a scientist during the day, a comedian at night, and I tell a lot of science jokes. And I have a science podcast called Science Faction, which you can find on Podbean, in which myself, a comedian and a rotating guest scientist, look at the weekly published science articles, and uh, we tell dick jokes about them. So we like to think it's the easiest way to stay scientifically literate about what's going on in the world around you while still getting that sweet fix of dick jokes. And, of course, you can find my comedy podcast, The Degenerates Podcast, also on Podbean. Uh, that is one that Paige has guest starred on a few times. Thank you for joining us. Thank this you for great. thank you for having me in my house. Yes, say, yeah, in your house. <laughs> thank you for having us. We are in San Diego, as those of you who are going to meet up with us later today know. Mm-hmm. And we're here because Bobby knows a lot more about like explosives and weapons yes, than I do. Absolutely. What is that, Bobby? Uh, I like to think of myself as a super villain in training or Agreed. or not even in training just like if if the shit ever hit the fan and it got really bad, okay. I might have to start eradicating a lot a lot of people. I've always just been super interested <laughs> in in these people that are able to do things. It's one of the reasons Om Shinrikyo is so interesting to me. That's what made me love last mm-hmm. podcast on the left. It's such an interesting topic because when you think about it, this guy didn't start out as Donald Trump. His dad wasn't a million he didn't have all the edges in life. He was a blind, fat, poor dude <laughs> yeah. who ended up a, a sociopath 100% and an right. evil person. Oh, oh, you don't want to yeah. mimic him. But he ended up doing so much with what he had. And a lot of it was almost makeshift together. Almost yeah. makes yeah. me feel like an underachiever. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, he really pulled himself up from his sandal straps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I would trust Bobby in the zombie apocalypse. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, I've been like, planning for that for a long time. I, yes. You have to have yeah, yeah. you have to have your, your everything ready. You got to get a good bug out spot. Uh, because of my job, I'm a I'm an archaeologist during the day. Nice. I have to run around on the outskirts of San Diego and so I do surveys nonstop and I map all the water wells so that if a shit ever hits the fan, I can run off into the hills and be good for months on oh, that's end. Pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Nice. I was really glad. So you said, uh, why do you know so much about explosives? And you started, you said, I described myself, and I was so terrified you were going to say a loner. Oh, yeah. 
No, he is a fan of vigilante justice. That's though. true. I that is very true. Oh my god, we have a Marie's whole segment a on, on yes. our podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I always used to love messing around with electronics and explosives and stuff as a kid. Right. Love taking stuff apart. The direction you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we either, all are. It was really. either yeah, go be a field scientist or destroy the earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things Bobby and I talked about earlier this week is um, there's a huge period of Om Shinrikyo where. Not a ton happens as far as the kind of things that we would normally cover on our show. It's a lot of them developing weapons while consistently being terrible, but without any real peaks or rallies until the very end. There is one thing. They did run for office at one yes. point. Who Somewhat unremarkably. <laughs> yeah, they lost. Um, they put like a lot of people up, too. They really tried hard, and they had people knocking on doors. They tried to like flood the election. It, yeah. would, it would be almost as if... Like, the Scientologists decided they were just going to, mm-hmm. like, seize L.A. City Council is right. kind of what happened. Um, Who's to say they haven't? I mean, <laughs> lizard not, people. Lizard you're not people. wrong. Uh, but the biggest thing they did in this time is they developed a ton of weapons. And so Bobby's actually going to go through them one at a time mm-hmm. and talk about kind of the difference between buying that kind of a weapon if you're a government versus actually making it yourself because they made most of them. Yes. Yeah. Well, you got to remember, and you guys have covered this before, they weren't just taking in your average person on the street. They did do that too. They brought in a lot of super advanced science and technology people. They got them into the cult and the head of those people was a guy named, and I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sure, Hideo Marai. I'm just going to call him Marai. You're looking at me as if I know. I'm going to start calling him Marai. Salmon skin roll? That's probably it. Yeah. He made his way up to be the number two guy. So it was Asahara and then him. And he was the head of the science and technology ministry. What was really interesting is this guy comes from a super sophisticated background. He had a PhD in physics. He was getting recruited by these huge companies. He decides to go off into Om Shinrikyo, and he's going to lead all of their weapons development, all of their technology development. And he does so shockingly efficiently for a lot of this stuff. Especially considering, as we covered a little bit last time, they had the brain helmets that would shock people, but were also on a lot of LSD. Yes, yes. Now, he wasn't in charge of the LSD as much as he was the actual weapons. He did uh, bring up the PSI, the Perfect Salvation Initiation, which was the brain helmets. I want to know who was in charge of the LSD. (laughs) Asahara was. That that was Asahara, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, largely. So this Mirai guy, again, he's he's the number two guy. Uh, Asahara would say, I want this. I want a laser. I want this. I want that. And it was his job to go do it. So he was the action man. He was he, he would get the ideas from Asahara, and he had to carry it out. He was Asahara's Will Riker, basically. He Thanks, would, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Marie. Well, I, I just want to point out, and I'm not going to say what's on this board, uh-huh. because I don't want to spoil anything, but that looks like the shopping list of an absolute fucking psycho. Right. That's my note board. It yeah. makes me afraid to be in your home. Yes, well, I've only got half of that stuff actually here. The rest of it's okay. just for own Shinrikyo. Right, right. <laughs> you guys will hear about this list in a bit. I'm gonna we'll, we'll read it off in order yeah. at the end. Oh, It'll yeah. be pretty great. So we'll start with the helmets because you mentioned them last yeah. last time and I listened to it and I wanted to add something to this. Go which ahead. Is, you started with the PSI, Perfect Salvation Initiation. The idea was that you would mimic the guru's ba- brainwaves, put them into somebody else and that person could then achieve some mental states that only the guru could. And you had people saying things like, ah, oh, when I felt his brainwaves, it felt like nothing at all. Like it felt like a person who was in such complete control that they had no emotion. Um, but they were just shocking themselves yeah. in the head. <laughs> and you did this by putting electrodes on the scalp and delivering shocks to the brain. Here's what's interesting. So this was back in the early 90s that they developed and utilized this. It was 
crazy expensive. They rented them for $10,000 a month. I actually found out that reports of you being able to buy them was false. You couldn't really? buy them. You could only rent them oh. for 10000 a month. The cult made $20 million from this. That is $20 million oh from so renting these helmets. You're saying that the, it was shockingly effective. God damn it. <laughs> Good to be here. What's really interesting is, so this was the early 90s. Starting in around the mid-2000s, scientists started researching something called transcranial direct current stimulation, which is very similar. It's basically using electrodes on the head to stimulate different parts of your brain. And they were able to show a lot of interesting effects. It's really useful for depression. There are incidental reports that are not nearly confirmed enough that they help you learn new tactics very quickly. And this is a legitimate medical field now that is essentially doing a more precise version of what Asahara was doing in the early 90s. Fun fact, after you and I talked about this earlier in the week, I mentioned it to another friend who is a clinical neuropsychologist. Right. And I was like, yeah, they did these brain helmets. And she was like, don't you remember when we tested that on you in college? Uh (laughs) Because full disclosure, in like 2004... UC Irvine was doing a study on ADHD and ADD in adults, Uh specifically in girls. And being someone with ADD, they pop a helmet on you. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't feel like anything. And then they like watch where your eyes follow patterns and see how quickly you learn patterns. Yeah. (laughs) Also, it's sort of like a similar thing. When I was a kid, I stuck a fork in an outlet. And that taught me me real quick of the pattern of not fucking doing it. Right, right, right. So it's really interesting because, you know, maybe they were having some effects. Maybe sometimes incidentally they were actually causing positive changes while doing that which is a weird thing to think about right. especially when you look at a lot, of, a lot of the literature that came out about Om Shinrikyo came out before transcranial direct current stimulation became a thing and so they, did, they were just like look at these idiots with their, their flash <laughs> helmets on maybe we don't know maybe they were actually doing something you can go on YouTube right now and see a bunch of quote unquote biohackers mm-hmm. who do this to themselves with 9 volt batteries and hookups that mm-hmm. literally shock their own brains the one that they put on me in college they had made <laughs> like yeah. in the lab just yeah. at school, college you kids. You signed up for this? Um, yeah, you I, I think I was paid. I do not remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, like 20 bucks. I was only there for like 15 minutes, and it was just once. Okay. But and I was like, how'd I do? And they're like, we don't talk about that. And so oh, I have no yeah. idea if it worked or not. Yeah, you say 20 bucks, but as a college kid, I hear 100 ramen. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. It's an interesting thing to think about. You got to wonder if that affected them somehow. Right. They were loaded to the gills with LSD, so they got that going. <laughs> for him already right. it would be funny to see if that was if somebody like a researcher was reading this one point and they were reading about asahara and they're like hmm we gotta try that in the lab uh, and they ended up leading to this whole field of study i got a quick question um and i i haven't asked this before and i don't remember if i saw anything about it before but are they manufacturing their own lsd or yes. where yeah okay, yes that's they what are. i thought they are actually they had the scientists to do it yes oh yeah okay yeah and and lsd isn't <laughs> that hard to make yourself. No, it's not that hard to make. Manson used to make it. It's super inexpensive, too. So either way, and it's very abundant. Yeah, and unlike things like methamphetamine, you don't have combustible cycles in the manufacture of LSD, so you're not really putting everybody in danger of a big explosion. It's it's relatively safe. The only risk you run is the differences in the the strengths of your final product. Well, plus having a sweet-ass time. Yeah. That's a a big danger. (laughs) You can ruin a bathtub, I think, probably. if If you sort of, depending on the way that you do it, you can either get something that's like not as strong or you can get something that like one tab will just send you insane like what they used to do in the fbi where they were testing the strengths so okay sorry that was my 
So they are making their own. Mondo drugs. is our resident LSD expert. Oh, okay, fantastic. You check Pinterest. There's plenty of boards on it. <laughs> DIY LSD. Oh, you'd think so. But. <laughs> so that was one of Mariah's first jobs was making the PSI, the Perfect Salvation Initiation Machine. Mm-hmm. So maybe Mariah ended up starting uh, transcranial direct current stimulation. Also, they were making their LSD, and they were combining those two together, which had to be a very interesting thing to go through. That's some MK Ultra shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. But then they moved on because they decided that they were going to have a ground war, and they would need some ground troops. And so for that, they decided to make some AK-74s. Before anyone says anything, not AK-47s, they're slightly different variants. So they were making AK-74s, which is the basically a very, very widespread automatic rifle that you will, or semi-automatic rifle that you will see everywhere around the world. It's what you see in African conflicts. It's what you see in Southeast Asia. It's the main weapon that the Chinese government uses. It is a very dangerous, but rugged thing. You can drop it in mud, it still fires. You can get it wet, it still fires. And so they're highly coveted for warlords and stuff like that. The Nokia brick phone of guns. Yeah. (laughs) And here's what's funny. It's made out of stamped metal. So if you look at modern guns, like what the American infantry uses, like an M16, these are cast metal. So they're like any other kind of metal that you would see made. This is made of stamped metal, which is essentially how you make baking pans. Like you take a flat sheet of metal and you have a form that that hits it really hard and creates that form. So it's the cheapest way to manufacture a piece of metal. It is incredibly cheap, incredibly easy, and so Asahara said, we need a thousand of these. Let's start our own factory. I would imagine super light, too. Is that correct? No, they're actually pretty heavy because oh, okay. it's thick, stamped steel. Okay. Uh, so, quick quick question. The manufacturing of the, of the AKs mm-hmm. is after the death that we covered in the last episode, right? That's correct. So, this yes. is the start of full-fledged paranoia. We're going to have a ground war, which... Yeah. As we've seen time and time again, always happens with Colts. Right. But uh, this is the start of it, right? Yeah. And, okay. and a little bit of a heads up for this whole precursor is I'm going by the actual topic. So we're going to look yeah. at AKs and all this stuff. We're not necessarily going in a linear timeline because we're going to reset and go back for each one of gotcha. these things. They yeah, did a lot of this all at the same time. Yeah. A lot yeah. of it was going on at the same time. So they, they wanted to manufacture a thousand of these, which sounds complicated until you realize that they're stamped metal and the Russians have been doing this since the 40s very easily. Yeah. And they created an entire factory to do this. They had super expensive uh, machines that would help them actually form the materials and had over a hundred workers there every single day. Most of them didn't even know what they were working on, including some of the heads of the actual project. Asahara told them, we're making metal trinkets that are essentially votive items, like they're for our religious practice. So they're only just making one piece at yes. a time, and that's how he keeps them from all knowing what's going on. Yeah, and, and this guy was super suspicious, because also they would drive him to the factory, so he didn't know where it was. Nobody oh, who God. worked there knew where it was, and they isolated the factory workers, not only from the rest of pub- the public, they isolated them from other Om Shinrikyo members. So you just have this group of like 100 people secretly making weapons that they don't know they're making very poorly. Right. <laughs> and that was the thing. They couldn't figure it out. They kept messing up because they were not experts in this. They didn't quite know how it worked. An even bigger problem is if you don't know what you're making, it's hard to make it. Yeah, yeah. It's also hard to care about your job. Yeah. Right, right. I feel like the morale was, hey, you guys want to go out to lunch uh, and also maybe know where we are? <laughs> so, I think part of that's the brain helmets. Yeah. No. We think they might have produced with all these people with this uh, huge factory, all this expensive equipment, over 100 people working every day, we think it's possible they could have produced a single working AK-74. The only one? Yes. Oh, God. And here's what's funny about that. These are very cheap weapons to buy on the international (laughs) marketplace. So if you wanted to buy a thousand of these, it would cost... 
350k around there, something like that, which is less than the amount they spent on the machinery inside the building, much less the building itself and all the people that were there, and they didn't get anything out of it. They could have just fucking gone on Silk Road. I guess that wasn't around at the time, but they could have yeah. gone, could have gone over to Russia. Actual Silk Road, yeah. <laughs> right, right. They could have gone over to Russia and picked these things up for 300 bucks a pop. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, like my first thought is like, well, they didn't want people to know that they were buying it, but it would be equally as suspicious to buy all the stuff to make yeah. it. So I feel like they just missed the forest for the trees. Yeah. They just went full DIY Chip and Joanna and we're like, we'll do it ourselves. Well, this is this is like when you're, well, maybe not when you're, but when I was like a high schooler and I was like, I'm going to smoke weed, but I can't I can't buy a bong or have a bong because that's too much. So I'm going to make a bong. I'm going to get a Gatorade <laughs> bottle. Right. It's um, like you have all the separate pieces to make it because in this your paranoid shitty head, you go, this is less suspicious right. than just getting the thing. One time a guy stole a vase from the dining hall and then a drill from the art department and made a giant bong that took a hit so big it knocked him unconscious for an hour and a half wow that is the same parallel spending more money more effort to make a shittier product that (laughs) eventually doesn't work right this is exactly why i get takeout (laughs) (laughs) the guy who was in charge of all this he like started having doubts and asahara was like showed him some kind of like bent up piece of metal he's like this is what you're making it's so that we can worship this in our and he still felt weird about it so the second like the sarin gas hits which we'll get to in a little bit later he goes to the cops and lets them know what's going on and where to find the factory and stuff like that so he even had his own people under him completely deluded into not knowing what they were doing. Wow. So then we move on to their next acquisition, which was from Russia. They picked up an MI-17 helicopter. One caveat I'll put to this. You'll see a lot of the reports and they'll be like, they picked up a, a war helicopter. They picked up... They, they bought the civilian version. Right. And you can buy that here. It's still impressive. And what they wanted to do was not put guns on it, but put gas sprayers on it and fly around Tokyo gassing everybody in the city. They tried to do that with a car as well, if I yeah. remember correctly. Right. I don't know if that's yes. further down your Oh, list. it is further down. Okay, okay. They tried a few yeah. times. They um, like spraying gas on people. They love spraying gas on people, but they don't know how to fly, use, or maintain helicopters, and so it just rusted out behind their compound yeah. Yeah, yeah. underneath a tarp and was never used for anything. Also, yeah. the, the, the car spraying gas is something that we've seen at least... Uh, the CIA yeah. did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so where that, they got the idea, actually. Yeah. But don't jump ahead. We got, we okay, got more okay, stuff sorry, to cover. Sorry. Right, right. One of the other things they did, as you guys have covered, they started killing a lot of people fairly early. Most yeah, of them yeah. their own devotees, but sometimes not you know, in the case of of the attorney and his family, but they needed a way to get rid of these bodies. Asahara actually invented his own giant body microwave machine to get rid of the bodies, literally to cook them into cremated remains so they could get rid of them. That, That one actually didn't technically work that well, so they bought an industrial microwave machine that blasted essentially super, super hot air through a tube that they could then connect to one of those 55 gallon drums. So they toss the body in there, hook it up, turn it on, and it would incinerate the body down to basically, like, clingy material on the sides of the barrel. Yeah. Like a like a girl who texts you too much, am I right? <laughs> also, okay, as a side note, I'm looking at the list that we referenced earlier, and I'm reading down, and I so, so far it says helmets, AKs, microwave, and I went, oh, microwave, that's not gonna, that's probably gonna be the least awful. Oh, right. no, that's microwave the is worst the worst. By yes. far! Well, especially because <laughs> the evidence it leaves, because when they finally raided them, 
they found a hundred of these barrels with the encrusted remains of people on them. Those are the only the ones they kept. So they know they killed at least that many people. Well, and you could put more than one person yeah. in each barrel. And right. you couldn't even put Hot Pockets in it. Yeah. So what's the point? <laughs> Think about how crazy this is. They were killing so many people, they needed a device to get rid of the bodies. they like, yeah, we geez. could just bury them, but there's just way too many. <laughs> Do we know what they did with the, the cremated remains? They would spread them around their compound. Okay, so, so like just, just put them under a bush. The, yeah, ashes work as fertilizer. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they were doing it for that reason. I don't yeah. know if that was necessary. Like they're like, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah. He's got a green thumb. He says if we put these these burned up people here, we'll grow better azaleas. But they, I think it was just more of we need to get rid of them. He's got a green thumb, and these are the ashes of his thumb. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, obviously, if they if they were going the route of wanting to fertilize it, they would have just placed the it's fucked up as right. it is the chopped the up dead. Right. Well, you remember yeah. with the attorney where they spread yeah. the remains out? Everywhere, they yeah. kind of did the same here because they found drums yeah. in multiple yeah. locations. So uh, Mariah helped with that as well, and then Mariah, one of Mariah's biggest jobs was Asahara was obsessed with lasers. He loved the idea of lasers. Who isn't? Yeah, but he want, <laughs> he thought this was going to give him this like weapons edge, which is so fun. You gotta you gotta understand he's on LSD the whole time because it's, that's the only way this I makes mean, sense. People on LSD fucking love lasers. Right. Like I don't know if you've True. seen videos of Burning Man and shit, but like I feel like he just saw a laser show, got really scared, yeah. and was like, "We need to utilize it." People. <laughs> LSD Hardest and cats, power. the two things, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but think about it. So he, he wants them to build him a functional weapons laser. No government has this. This isn't no. something that really exists. It's theoretically possible, but the amount of power you would need is so huge, it, it becomes functionally impossible. So he wants his science ministry in a cult in Japan to create weapons that, like, the U.S. Department of Defense can't make. And he thinks it's going to give him this huge edge where he can wipe people out and leave the cities intact. Because his main problem, he believes, this is the only flaw he sees in his whole Harumageddon plan. We can't build the buildings back, so we're going to have to kill everybody and keep the buildings standing. That's the one thing you can build back. Right. Our buildings. Not lasers that have never been invented. Well, yeah, only in Bond films. Right. Um, So he got... The closest thing that we have to militarized lasers is, like, pointing one in somebody's eye. Right, right. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. This is not a good point. Uh, I shouldn't make it. But sometimes <laughs> I take my cat laser and point it at a tree or something to freak out people in the neighborhood. So they <laughs> right. They think so- they think they're snipers that really yeah. hate pines. Yeah, Just exactly. like ah. Exactly. <laughs> I hate all kinds of pines. Trees, Chris, all of them. <laughs> So they uh, they built their own laser. It was super big and complicated. And their idea was they wanted to cut the Tokyo police station in half. That was what they were going to do with their giant laser. The plans are fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> They're the plans of an LSD-addled yeah. brain. They have, that's I also like just drinking bath water. Everything that happens, I go, why would you? Oh, the drugs. The drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mirai was able to build a quite powerful laser for the time. They did a test at their facility, which the local villagers saw and was like, what the? Why is there a half mile long red beam going from one of their buildings to another? Because I moved in. And yeah, and of course, as you guys have covered, the Japanese police were not exactly on the ball. And so when they reported, the police were like, ah, they're just having fun. Just let them be. So they did make their laser. They decided they were going to go and try it out on the police station. It would not have done much, but they thought maybe we could blind some of the police officers if we shine it through the window. (laughs) They literally went from we're cutting the police station in half and vaporizing all of the humans in the city to maybe we can get this in their eye and blind them a little bit. This wants everyone to be like him. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as they're going towards it, their laser breaks down. 
So now they're getting further along and they're like, oh shit, the laser's broken. What do we do? <laughs> Get hand mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have enough time to rebuild it. So they're like, let's just buy a commercial laser. So they actually contacted a company here in San Diego to purchase a commercial laser for half a million dollars. And the company's like, yeah, we can do it, but it'll take us a while to get the specs right for you. And you'll have to go through customs, which will take a long time. And they're like, screw it. That won't work. We'll just shine laser pointers at these cops' eyes, (laughs) which is essentially what their plan drew down to at the end. So that was their laser exhibitions. Then they moved on to probably one of the scarier parts, which was nuclear weapons. So Asahara badly wanted a nuke. He saw nuclear weapons as kind of the mainstay of being a power in the world. Think of him as like Kim Jong-un. I was thinking, yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Except different haircut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that'd be Not great at basketball. Who's got the worst haircut? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like Kim Kim Jong-un's haircut's bad on him, but it's okay on others. Yeah. Well, and it, it is yeah. stylized. Yeah, yeah. Asahara, that's just what happens when you, like, bathe too much and your hair gets coarse because you're stripping it of the oils. I think the real question is, who's better friends with Dennis Rodman? <laughs> <laughs> so Asahara had already made some friends in Russia while trying to do advanced laser research. He actually went to Moscow and talked to the 19, I think it was 1964 Nobel Prize winner in Moscow, a Russian scientist who had won the Nobel Prize for his work with lasers in order to try and, you know, build a, a sweet laser. And in doing so, he made a bunch of contacts with the Russian government. And he was using those contacts to try and buy a nuclear weapon. The sad part is, at this point, after the fall of the Soviet Union, that was possible. Yeah. You could do that. And he was fairly close on numerous occasions to actually purchasing a nuclear weapon, which, as we're about to find out, he would not have any qualms of detonating. No, no. no. Well, and I, what I... If I remember correctly, at the time, the Soviet Union was so poor, they were just selling them off. Yes, absolutely. Like, they just needed the money. You could buy a MiG jet, you could buy whatever you wanted, you could buy submarines, you could buy whatever you wanted from the ex-Soviet Union, and he almost did. So, he got really close. (laughs) I just... Guys, whatever you need, come on down to Moscow's Weapons Are Us. <laughs> Crazy we got nuclears, we got submarines. We also have fur coats and blenders. <laughs> What's scarier, too, is he actually went about this in two different ways. One is he tried to purchase a weapon, but in typical Ohm DIY fashion, we're going to make our own lasers, we're going to make our own AKs, we're going to make everything. They also wanted to make their own. So they purchased one of the largest ranches in Australia called Bandawan Station. And when they were down there, they mined for uranium because that's also a uranium mining God, spot. They didn't even buy the uranium. No, Good and Lord. That here's is way too extreme. With the there's shit. yes. Here's why this is crazy. Because if you without going too far into nuclear physics, there's two t- types of fission bombs. There's a uranium bomb and a plutonium bomb. Plutonium bombs you can get plutonium from any depleted reactor. It's very easy to get plutonium, relatively so. <laughs> it's easy to get plutonium. Just like walking down the street and yeah. getting a Gatorade. Maybe it's easy for you. <laughs> right. Oh, I got a guy. Super I got a plutonium guy. Training. Yeah. That doesn't that that doesn't make me feel great He's that you a have a plutonium hero. guy. Yeah. He's a supervillain in apprenticeship at this part. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. A plutonium weapon, making a plutonium nuclear weapon, is incredibly difficult. You have to have a simultaneous compression, and in order to build a device that does that, you essentially need a nation state, very, very high level engineers. It's one of the reasons a terrorist group will probably never build a plutonium nuclear weapon but plutonium's f- fairly easy to get uranium is the other type of fission weapon uranium is much harder to get especially weapons grade uranium however 
literally, I could build a uranium nuclear bomb. It's not that hard. It's essentially a cannon-style bomb. It shoots one part of a big hunk of uranium at another. Long story short, basically, you can make a so nuclear... So everyone dies, is what you're Everyone saying. dies, yeah. and you can make this in your house. Your average person could make this. It's scary that they're out there mining uranium because it means that they know, A, that it's easier to make that weapon, that they probably can do it themselves, they probably have Mirai on it someplace, and that, B, you can't buy weapons-grade uranium from the uranium markets that are used for uh, nuclear reactors because it's not pure enough. So they needed to go out and get their own. Jeez. That is a crazy level of sophistication and planning. Say sophistication, but they all smelled like shit. That's true. <laughs> just dressed in rags and smell like awful. But took so many bubble baths. Huh? Luckily, yeah, treat treat water. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was just a profit thing. They just yeah, wanted yeah. all that money for that was liquid gold flowing off of him. Ugh, gold. Yeah. Just... No, that was piss. Yeah. That was right. <laughs> That was part of it. Thankfully, they never were able to get enough uranium nor get to the point where they could weaponize it by purifying it to the extent. But we are lucky because if they would have gotten that uranium, they absolutely could have produced a nuclear weapon very easily. And would likely have launched it or tried to launch it at us, not necessarily their own people. Well, here's the thing. They couldn't launch it at us because they wouldn't have an ICBM but they would probably just walk into downtown Tokyo and blow it up yeah you know yeah, suicide yeah. bomb type they, they would basically they, they would have the bomb aspect but not the rocket aspect. yeah right because they want it by the way this a lot of these attacks they want Japan to think they're being attacked by the United States yeah. the whole right, idea is right. to start a war and so they would absolutely walk into downtown Tokyo and start this now they also could have done something like a dirty bomb where you take spent uranium and spent plutonium and use this fuel uh, and blow it up with TNT or a traditional explosive and that spreads radioactive all around and that will leave a place uninhabitable so that might not have the boom aspect of a nuclear weapon but certainly would kill a lot of people and create a place that nobody could live for a long time thankfully they didn't get any of that they didn't (laughs) get it for the russians they weren't able to mine enough down in australia and so they uh, kind of abandoned the nuclear thing at some point but they did really get into two things which is biological and chemical weapons these ones are super scary too yeah yeah so these these are I mean, in case you somehow don't know this, these are literally outlawed by the Geneva Convention yep. for Warfare. Yep. Yeah. So countries have come together to go, hey, even though we, the goal is to kill each other, yeah. these are awful. Yeah. That's yeah. how fucking Well, except for Syria, but everybody else, yeah. 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 Um, and by the way, we're going to talk about what they got successful at. Just so you know, they tried different biological weapons that they couldn't get. In fact, they had a tour called the African Salvation Tour, where a group of OM members toured through Ebola-ridden Africa to get samples of Ebola. Ebola under the pretense of doing humanitarian work to then bring back and weaponize later on in Japan. Ooh. So you're telling me I just gotta I just gotta spit in this vial and then you're gonna cure me? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 don't worry about it. Watch me hover. Yeah. <laughs> you're just jumping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna break all of the lights out with panties. You watch. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, they also tried to uh, weaponize cholera and Q virus to other biological components that thankfully they were unlucky and they were not able to. However, they were able, or had some traction at least, with anthrax. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the bacteria that causes anthrax causes really bad effects in people. Basically, a couple of days after inhaling it, you come down with what seems like a cold, and then it becomes a more powerful flu with fever and vomiting and the chills. Then your back erupts in excruciating blisters, turning the skin black and leathery, and your lungs fill, fill with fluid, your brain swells, and parts of your bodies turn blue as blood is cut off before you eventually die in horrible pain. So what I'm hearing is that I get a couple days off work for being sick. <laughs> right. I get a natural leather jacket. Yeah. My brain gets all swell and shit. 
Swole? Yeah, swole. Uh, and then I stay blue, Crips for life. That's what um, I'm, that is what I'm hearing. I think my favorite part is just watching Marie's face as you oh, listed yeah. these <laughs> symptoms. That was fantastic. Well, and here's the other thing. Anthrax is not that hard to make either. No. This is another thing I could make. You uh, literally... Please don't. Please don't. We'll we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) It grows in the stomachs of a lot of animals. You just need to take enough cell cultures, have a good enough biology background to recognize when that culture is growing with that particular bacteria. It's not that hard. It is hard to weaponize, which is what the problem became. It was much harder for them to be able to kind of get a bunch of other people infected with this. And if you donate to our Patreon, we will send you (laughs) anthrax. We don't even have one. you just committed a crime it also has the unfortunate quality of being super long lasting so if you put anthrax someplace it stays in the soil for a very very long time as in fact the british experimented with anthrax in the 1940s to keep them to think about keeping the nazis from coming in so they bombed this island with anthrax called grunard island in the 1940s it killed all the sheep on the island and then it proceeded to live on into the soil indefinitely until eventually, thanks to lawsuits and recognition, the government had to clean it up in the 1990s. So, Is this like a radioactive half-life no, thing? Or it's just like it's a, a living organism. So, oh, because oh, it's bacteria. Right. Okay. Yep. And so if they get a hold in the soil, they just continue to so live. it's like there. the Borg. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah. think about it this way. You, you, let's say he were to spread this around Tokyo or something. Similar to what we were talking about about the radioactive decay and stuff. Yeah. You would kill everybody there, but then nobody could move in and live there unless that soil was decontaminated. kill yeah. them also. Yeah. And you would never know it's there until people started getting sick. It's a very insidious thing. In 93, Ohm built a secret laboratory on the roof of an eight-story Tokyo building that they owned. The lab vented to the roof into an industrial-scale sprayer in the middle of Tokyo that was disguised as a cooling tower. For four straight days, cult members used sprayers to disperse anthrax spores across Tokyo, killing birds and plants and sickening house pets while leaving a disgusting smell over everything the spray settled on. First off, fuck you, birds. You deserve it. Second off, <laughs> at what point, working for this guy, do you not just go like, yo, I've watched a lot of anime. Do you guys realize he's on some supervillain shit? Right? <laughs> well, here's the great thing. So this thing, it settles. Like, this brown haze settles on cars and stuff and leaves a residue. And all the neighbors are like, whoa, what's going on? Our animals are dying. So the police come to the building and they knock on the door. And they're like, uh, we need to see what's going on. And they're like, sorry, we can't let you in. And then Asahara kind of takes a side and comes back and goes, um... Yeah, that, that smell, that's just soybean oil and perfume. Sorry about that. And it's our religious practices, yep. so you can't come So you inside. can't come in, and they continued to vent anthrax into Tokyo. Jesus. Now, because they weren't able to aerosolize this, make it airborne very easily, it was killing small animals. It was putting out a bad smell. Some people were getting sick, but as far as we know, it didn't actually kill anybody. So now you got Asahara super frustrated. He's got an eight-story building in the middle of Tokyo with a huge hidden cooling tower spraying anthrax into the air, and he hasn't killed a goddamn person with it yet, and he starts getting mad. Yeah, he has bought, at this point, he has bought the large, one of the largest ranches in Australia, yep. an eight-story building in, the, in downtown Japan, which right. you, got, you know the rent's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, for this amount of money, they could have just bought all those guns yeah. Yeah. and then yes. bought a nuke. <laughs> like, I'm just... Like, literally, they had $20 million from the brain helmets. Oh, yes, and they, they ended up getting a, almost a billion dollars. So they were quite wealthy and near the end. And I'm sorry, here's yeah. a quick question. Are these things happening simultaneously? I know you said they were Some weren't. of them are, yes. Okay. Cause I, I, so 93 was when they did the anthrax test. Gotcha. Because some of these things sound like they're trying them fail because yeah. they're failing at everything and then they just give up and go on to something else yeah well yeah. That, some of that is and he has Mirai running this all his Riker is doing all of this yeah. for him 
And so he goes up to Riker and he's like, listen, we got to do something else, bud. What else do you have? And he goes, botulism. So botulism toxin is the most dangerous substance in the world next to plutonium. A tiny, tiny amount will kill you dead very, very easily or make you look younger again because it's also what's yeah, in Botox. Yeah, I was going to say, it was like, that's how people die from Botox is yeah. botulism. Yeah, it's safe to use kind of in that weird part in your head as long as it's done correctly, but some unlicensed kind of shady people, I think they have Like the kind of people that do butt implants in Botox. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. With, yeah. Like, with like that spray foam. Yeah, I've watched Maury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so basically the peptone uncovered in the later raids along with, and the peptone is kind of what they use to grow this on, along with the sophisticated computer hardware and, and software for biological development was enough to kill hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So the botulism that they grew, the peptone, think of that as like the food that you're giving the bacteria to grow. They had enough weaponized botulism by the time they got raided to kill millions of people. Crazy. So the sect cultivated its own botulism bacteria, and in 1990, they mounted botulism sprayers onto three trucks that drove around the Japanese diet, which is like their Congress. They drove one around the Japanese diet, they drove one around American naval institutions, and they drove one around the airport north of Tokyo. The effort was a complete failure, and no one died. They were spraying botulism out of the back of trucks. They got the idea from the CIA, and yet they couldn't get a single person to die. like 40 people... Took 10 years off their face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's why Japanese people look so young. People are fucking up harder than the Rajnishis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, they really botched that one. Oh. oh shockingly effective. <laughs> This, this next part is my favorite part, even though it's, it's, again, a little dire and stuff. They can't weaponize this botulism, even though they have plenty of it. They can't, just like the anthrax, they're having a lot of trouble getting it to actually kill people. So then they had a harebrained scheme, which revolved around the prince of Japan was getting married. And Om Shinrikyo felt that the young woman he was getting married to was a quote-unquote Japanese Jew and a secret member of the Freemasons. Now... Okay. Questions. So many. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. This is this is gonna be our expertise is royal weddings. So she was Japanese. Yes. Okay. Was there a reason he thought she was Jewish? It's more of the conspiratorial mindset. Remember, these guys liked the Nazis. They worshipped the Nazis. Right, so this right. is their way of saying this is an infiltrator. This is somebody coming okay. in. They're using it as a derogatory form, not because they actually believe that gotcha. she's Jewish. Gotcha. Kind of like when I call Trump a Nazi. Yeah, like, yeah. Like he doesn't have a uniform in right. storage somewhere. And I'm pretty sure Freemasons have to be dudes. So I don't know how yeah, she could be a yeah. secret Freemason. Oh, oh, full blown though. One of them tried to friend me on Facebook the other day. Oh, really? And it was a lady. And it was oh. just like a whole bunch of like pictures of like come check out the freemasons and i just did not accept that friend request so they decided screw this prince trying to marry this quote-unquote japanese jew we're gonna get him so they rigged up a car again with botulism sprayers and this time asahara himself was in the car as they drove around the imperial palace spraying botulism out of the tailpipe of this car Here's the funny thing. Not only did it not work like the previous ones, no one died. Halfway through, Asahara panics, screams, it's getting in the car, even though it wasn't, opens the door while the car is driving, and runs out screaming. <laughs> Everybody in the car is confused because the guru, who is supposed to be their leader on this mission, has just left. He's just running out of the car yelling, he got in the car! Uh, and they don't know what to do, so they just kind of haphazardly keep driving around to no avail. Nobody got poisoned, not even the people in the again, car. Again, you have a guy high on LSD realizing he's got weapons <laughs> right. in yeah, the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then also, he was pretty mad because they wouldn't let him pick the radio station because the driver <laughs> gets to pick the station. I mean, but th- this is, though. This is driving around with your stone friend who's like, what if the cops see us? Right. I need to get yes. out right yeah. now. <laughs> it absolutely is. So they were, with, despite that, they basically had no effectiveness with any of their biological weapons. Unfortunately, the same was not true of their chemical weapons. So one of the chemical weapons they tried to synthesize was something called VX. Uh, Basically, VX is a nerve agent, and it will work in very brutal form. It forces your nerves to continually fire by stopping acetylcholase from breaking down the neurotransmitters within the nerve. So if you have this nerve gap and to send a signal, one chemical goes and latches on, and it stays there for a while, and then it uh, unlatches when acetylcholase comes on, and you can continue to reuse that nerve. So in in language that us who watch okay. Real Housewives would understand. What does that do to you? You're welcome. <laughs> Basically, it keeps your nerves firing nonstop. Your nerves can't turn off. So that's Ooh. why you see people shaking and they go into fetal positions and stuff. And eventually your nerves wear out and they essentially atrophy and you die by suffocation because your diaphragm no longer works. Remember when you asked what happens when I eat gluten? <laughs> <laughs> so first off, I want to give a real quick uh, nerve. Right. Second off, uh, that sounds awful. It's horrible. It's a horrible way to die. And what's funny is we would not necessarily know it's a horrible way to die if it wasn't for Ohm Shinrikyo because it had never been used on a human being until Ohm decided to go after one of its defectors with some VX. One of the reasons they had so much trouble with it at Ohm is it kept leaking out of the tanks and hurting, maybe even killing people in the actual Ohm Shinrikyo labs that were making it. They couldn't contain it because, again, DIY, they're not the best at this. This is like when somebody tries to make their own shiplap out of plywood and it just goes all wrong. (laughs) That's right. So uh, they they did. They went after three different people, and they basically, like, sprinkled it on the back of these guys' neck and ran away. The guy chased them for about 100 yards, then fell over, collapsed, and died. And as far as we know is the first ever case of death by VX was from an Ohm Shinrikyo attack. Put it on their neck like yes. perfume almost. Yeah. Well, because yeah. You, it absorbs through the skin. You don't have to inhale oh. it. You can absorb it through the skin. And uh, Star Wars Episode One is the first death by VFX. Oh. So, thank you. Thank you. It's good uh, to be here. Are you referring to my childhood when you talk about that death? <laughs> thank you. Well, you know it. And speaking of a weird interchange with somebody else we talked about before, you guys want to know who we think the second death ever for VX is? the second? Yeah. Kim Jong-un's brother. Who Shut was the killed. fuck up. Shut the fuck out Shut of the f- That was recent, Yeah, too. killed yeah. in an airport in Vietnam. A woman basically did something similar. They actually think in that case, because of the compound, the way they used it, they actually did a compound chemical where each woman had half of the chemical. They put it on his face or covered it for him, and the chemical reaction from those two mixing is what oh, killed him. Kind of like when you can only take three ounces of something on a plane, so you have to get like six yeah. people yeah. to That's each ex- bring three ounces uh-huh. of something on a plane. Only in this case, it would be like if the thing was a rum and coke and one guy brought the rum and one guy brought, brought the, the coke. coke. Yeah. Okay, all right. And his last word, surprisingly, is, uh, why are these women touching my face? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they were the first ones to ever do this, and then Kim Jong-un decided to take up the mantle. So you have two, oh, two very interesting people in history ordering the I deaths mean, so by they're, VX. They're literally the same. Like, if you, yeah. if you told me that they're, like, twin brothers separated at birth, I'd believe you. Right, but that's because you're racist and you think all <laughs> Asians are <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, but I can see how that would sound that way. And that leads us to the number one thing that Om Shinrikyo did, what made them famous or infamous, and their weapon of choice, sarin gas. 
So sarin's another one of those nerve agents. It's much easier to manufacture than VX, which is probably why they chose to go this way, because VX has some advantages that sarin doesn't. Sarin will dissipate with the wind. VX and other things like chlorine gas will stay wherever it's released, sometimes for weeks, meaning it'll continually kill people. Asahara originally wanted to use VX for the attacks in the Tokyo subway system, but after having so much trouble synthesizing it and so many people dying in the lab, they switched to sarin. So what would have been the difference attack-wise for VX? Like, would it have changed their method of dispensing that gas? I think more likely they'd keep the same method, but that gas would have hung around in that unventilated subway probably for months. Okay, so it, it would have just killed way more people. Yep. No and one would have escaped. Made it very hard to do rescue efforts and everything else. Okay. The sarin got kind of flushed out fairly easily. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the cool thing, I guess, about the VX is that eventually... If it had worked, everything went to plan. When it was dissipated, you could go back to being in there. Unlike the sarin, which would right. just kind of stick no, no, and everything. No, 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 other sarin. Way around, they, other they, way around. Technically, other they, way around. they both would eventually go, but VX would take longer. So VX oh. would be more appropriate for Asahara. Oh. Um, but in either case, you come in in a month or two or whatever, and you're fine. The gas is okay, dissipated. I'm glad I said correct me if I'm wrong, right. because I was wrong. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So the exposure is lethal even at super low concentrations. Death can occur within one to ten minutes after direct inhalation of a lethal dose. And it's doing the similar thing. It's basically paralyzing your lung muscles. So you die suffocating just in air. Like you're suffocating, but nobody's taking the air away from you. You just, your body cannot physically breathe anymore. Your own body gives up. This is why we don't take public transit, Marine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what I've been saying all along. I mean, oh, I, I thought it was because you guys had money. Oh well, for me, it's because the last time I went to like a public, I think I told this story on the podcast. Where I went to a laundromat and got groped by a guy with a like thermos full of beer. Yeah. Oh, I'm just afraid that it's going to be a thermos full of sarin. There you go. Oh Jesus. Yeah. They did have a lot of issues with sarin. Sarin also leaked out of their facilities. It, we think it killed a couple of their members as well. It leaked out and killed the plants and animals surrounding their facility so that the local villagers called up the police and were like, you got to come here and check this out. The cops took samples, didn't bother to test them in time. Oh. And later, only later after some attacks that are, we're about to talk about, they tested them and went, oh, there's a bunch of sarin in this dirt. Jeez. Do you think they were like the Japanese version of our cops just sitting around eating mochi all day? <laughs> <laughs> no, they were corrupt. They were 100% corrupt. They had all members within the police force that were helping them tip off to raids that they... That, that was were... also part of them running for office, yes. was trying to get people in those positions. Like, police chief was one of the positions they ran for. Jesus. they so scary. Yeah. They loved Saren so much that in Japan, when they go to work, they have these corporate work songs where if you work for Toyota, you'll go in and every morning you start the day by doing some stretches and then singing the Toyota corporate song. Where God, you're like, we terrible. love Toyota. We love working here. This is awesome. Nobody jump off a building and kill themselves. This is great. <laughs> Om Shinrikyo made a similar song about Saren that was like, Saren, Saren, brought to us by the Nazis. We, oh, it was it was crazy and they would sing this publicly and Asahara apparently didn't realize later on like maybe this will point a finger back to me <laughs> that's so weird because that's Armando's ringtone and yeah. Like, yeah. That yeah the worst part about it is it's so goddamn catchy I, I'm just picturing like how terrible would it be if every day you like went to your job at Taco Bell and then you had to sing about it yeah. the only thing worse is the one person that's just like real good at singing they're yeah. just like Toyota <laughs> That was awful. Or the singing, one person but... that's just super into it. Because there's yeah. always at least one employee oh, yeah. that's full on gung ho. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
So even though they had killed some of their own members, they hadn't done an official like purposeful test yet. And so the first time they did is they went down to their Australian ranch and they tied up a bunch of sheep and they exposed them to sarin gas, which of course killed them quite instantly. It's not as hard to make pure sarin as it is with the VX and other stuff. So they actually made some pretty good sarin under Mirai. So again, we have our Riker who's, who's kind of running this whole operation and it worked. It killed, it killed all those sheep. Ironically, Asahara later said that he deeply regretted killing those sheep. What? <laughs> Not the people. Never, <laughs> ne- the never sheep. showed a bit of regret through the trial, through everything about killing hundreds of people over the course of his life, but was very disturbed about the Dude, sheep. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Except for one of them because they were a sheep Jew. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely a Freemason. Definitely yeah. a sheep Mason. <laughs> sheep Mason, yeah. Uh, then came the first real attack. The cult had a knot of run ins new- and numerous legal problems with local people around who were like, hey, stop shooting lasers in our town and that kind of stuff. And so they constantly were being taken to court and sued because they also screwed a lot of people out of land deals. Well, during one of these suits, it looked like it was going to go the way of uh, the, the cult losing. And, and Asahara was like, oh, man, we really have to do something about this. We can't lose this land dispute. So he does what anybody would do, finds out where the judge's apartments are, jury rigs a car, much like the ones before, to shoot Saren out the he tailpipe. so into that idea. Sends the hit squad out and then distributes Saren across an entire neighborhood to kill three judges living in an apartment complex. Wait, in the same apartment complex? Yeah, I think it's like a judge's dormitory. Things work differently in Japan. It's a different culture. (laughs) I'm just imagining some sort of... Party at the judge's door! Like some sort of, like, yeah, like Big Brother. It's just judges. Uh, There was a web series for a while uh, about zombies, and it was set in a house that was a like reality show set like that was in the show and it was the frat house of representatives <laughs> where they were divided into like republican and and democrat and it was just like they would occasionally cut to confessionals with senators it was pretty great <laughs> that's amazing well they got the van they they sprayed this entire neighborhood and this was the first non-military use of sarin gas on earth this of course resulted in 500 people becoming seriously ill and eight people dying some of the ill people included the three judges, one of which was very ill. Now, it should be said, when we say they got ill but they didn't die, sarin will a lot of times leave permanent effects. So permanent nerve damage, permanent brain damage. So these people, when we say ill, didn't just throw up, though they did that too. A lot of them were permanently crippled. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later about one of the most horrific events that happened in a later sarin attack. But sarin, sarin really does damage to your body. So these people have been forever affected, including the eight people who died. Well, that's and like on for- our, our Synodon episode, the guy who got bit by a snake. Lasting effects. Like, yeah, dude, dude survived, but, you know. He's yeah. sick today from that. Yeah. From the- yeah, well, yeah. Well, here's what pisses me off. It fucking worked. It yeah. got the judges sick. They delayed the trial and they never ended up going oh. to court for it. So because they pulled this Scooby-Doo-esque caper and gassed an entire neighborhood, killing a bunch of people and permanently wounding others, they got off scot-free. See, this is what the Rajneeshis wanted to be. This is exactly right. what they wanted to be. Yeah. They were too lazy and too fucking dumb to pull it. What kind of car was it? Was it a Rolls Royce? It was this a van. Is this is a theme. No, it was a van. Oh, it was a van. Oh, that works. I mean, they are creepy. Yeah. They used their 
Karen again to try and assassinate Daiatsu Ikeda, who I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong, who is a leader of a rival Japanese religion, because apparently in Japan, uh, religious disagreements are like hip-hop beefs in the 90s. Like, you just gotta fucking kill the other guy. Well, there, there's also tons of other religious cults. Like, when we covered it, there was 200,000 registered since their religious laws were yeah. put in place. Yeah. Like, insane amounts. If anyone out there can find me a diss sermon, I <laughs> go apeshit crazy. Oh, full blown, go listen to some of the newer tapes that people have found from Jonestown. Uh, uh, there are some hardcore diss sermons, and it is interesting as hell. Uh, the Jonestown... Oh, there's an actual name for that website. Yeah. I'll link it in our, our notes. I just want somebody to be like, um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our sermon. Um, first off, fuck your bitch and the click you claim. <laughs> I was hoping you were going yeah. there. They, oh. So they tried to assassinate this guy twice with Sarah and they failed both times. But again, they're just using Sarah and willy nilly in a civilian context. I've never... That's the first time in history that Saren and <laughs> yeah. Willy, Willy, Willy Nilly right. have been in the same sentence. But then in March of 95, the cult's magnum opus was unveiled. So what had happened was the cops were uh, coming in on Asahara. He knew it. He knew he was about to be busted. And in his mind, he was going to try the same thing he had done with the judges. He was going to try and create a mass, essentially, distraction by killing a lot of people that would take the heat off of him. Now, this had been part of their Her Room Again plan from the beginning, but it was supposed to come years down the line. They wanted to gas the Tokyo subway, which carries more people, I think, than any other subway system in the world. Millions of people ride this. It could have a dramatic effect. And so he figured if he could gas all these people and kill them, well, then that would take all the suspicion off him. The police would be around looking for whoever gassed sure, the subway. Sure. No one's going to think that maybe this dude who has access to a ton of sarin and has been kind of weird right. would be the one to sarin gas the who, subway. Who wrote a sarin song? Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you've never seen pictures or videos of the subway in Tokyo, those are the ones with the guys with the gloves yeah, that they push, push you people in. into the cars. Because it's packed. Because that's how many people there are. Nightmare. It's also, uh, I mean... I don't know where everyone else lives, but in, like, Los Angeles, we have laughable subway systems. Yes. But there, they are wildly effective. Right. Like, that is yeah. how you get around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, as we talked about earlier in another episode, because uh, they don't really do the car transportation. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they, 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 yeah, it's, they're yeah. a very public transit-oriented society. Yeah. Well, because this got bumped up so many years, Matsu had to do a rush job. And so all of a sudden, they couldn't produce the sarin to the quality they wanted, they had to produce it fast enough to get it done on this particular date. And so, thankfully for everybody, the sarin turned out to only be about 30% pure. Whereas the sarin they were producing before, had they released it the way they were about to release it in this particular case, would have killed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. It's only because they didn't have time to make it pure enough that people ended up surviving. And this Jeez. is the most fucked up example of uh, don't half-ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, do, so people don't die. <laughs> so he yeah, you hear that, Mom? <laughs> yeah, half-assing saved a bunch of people. He chose five teams of two to carry this out. Each one of those teams would have one person who would release the sarin on the subway and one person who was a getaway driver. The way they decided they would do it is they would get these bags, these plastic bags of liquid sarin. Each person would have two. They would take them down, drop them on the subway, and then use sharpened umbrellas to poke holes in the sarin gas and walk off the subway as the subway train continued on to other stations spreading the gas. What kind They're of doing Rube, fart bombs. Yeah, <laughs> Rube Goldberg nonsense is this plan. Right. Like, the, who planned this? A mom packing her kids' lunches? Like, we're going to use Ziploc bags and make sure you bring an umbrella? Well, they had tried 
tried a botulism <laughs> attack before where they had in the subways as well, where they had rigged up suitcases with chemical and biological weapons to spray out the gas and they just left them on the subway thing. Uh-huh. And thankfully, they think it might have been a crisis of conscience of one of the own members. He didn't load it up with the toxin. And so the sprayers ended up not killing people, but those also would kill. Right. So he already had this idea of contaminating the subways. And this is just the latest version. And before, because the whole briefcase super technical thing didn't work, he wanted to go low tech. He was yeah. like, I'm not going to trust the fans. I'm not going to trust these weird batteries. I just want a, a bag and an umbrella and we're going to make this happen. Jeez. So on March 20th, they carried out these attacks. They had very accurately timed out when all these trains would come. Each person mounted their specific train. They would drop their bag and then poke it with as many holes. Now, this became a bit of a calamity. Well, at least one of the guys was not able to puncture the bag all the way. He couldn't puncture one bag, and the other bag only got half punctured. That saved a lot of people's lives. Other ones, it got attention drawn to it, so the subway goers would kick the bag off the train into the station, which actually ended up killing people in the station. And some of them, the attendants, the subway attendants who worked down there, saw it and scooped it up like it was trash and took it away. In those cases, on those particular trains, those people didn't die, but the subway attendants died. Right. um, Because they were sweeping up the stairs. Now, this smells bad, so people start smelling it and noticing it, and also their eyes begin stinging and they start having horrible reactions. It's also, uh, I feel like I was going to try and make a joke about it, but, <laughs> but I, no, no, I, I, I'm being completely honest. I think there might've been something to this is these people are weak as shit from slep, sleep deprivation yeah. and also yeah. not being nourished. Right. I think part of not being able to poke it is that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I was yeah. going to make a joke about it, but then I thought about it for a second. I was like, holy shit. I think that's really it. Well, and I mean, think about, you've been on LSD. We've established yeah. this. Um, have, have you ever tried to just finish a to-do list on LSD? Yeah, so what happened is uh, the list just kept getting longer. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So stuff. these people have like a concrete thing that they need to do. High, like rip shit on LSD, but also sleep deprived, undernourished, and they have to puncture something with an umbrella. Which Odds is are the not worst high. way to do it, by yeah, the way. Yeah, bring a you're, knife. You're packed Jeez. in shoulder yeah. to shoulder, yeah. So they ended up doing this. It has a massive effect. These trains keep going down the line. They keep poisoning more stations. More people keep getting on. Some people get off. They start vomiting. They're very sick. They can't see. One woman, in the end, ended up having her contacts fused to her eyeballs. Oof. So the gas has a lot of negative effects on all of these people who are getting kind of dragged out. They're blinded, so it's hard for them to get out of the subway. Does it have any positive effects? Um... Weight loss? <laughs> <laughs> like later on down the line. Yeah. Though, you know, yeah. after the hospital stay. In this attack, 13 people die. 50 people were permanently affected and over 5,000 were badly sickened. The entire hospitals had to be cordoned off just to deal with these people. So three of the main hospitals in Tokyo were like, we're not taking any broken bones, guys. This is just sarin for the day. And you can see the pictures of them, the Tokyo police dragging people out of the subway. It's crazy. Half of them are blinded. They can't see. They're vomiting as they're going up. It is just an utter, utter destruction. And if you're Asahara looking at this, your guys got out. One of them got a little bit infected with sarin, but they had essentially the antidote. So he injected himself and he was okay. And if you're Asahara watching this on the news, you think you've started Harumageddon. Well, and here's what, like, for as terrible as that is, and as, like, horrendous as those numbers are, 
it was not successful and it was only at 30%. Yeah. Had it been at full strength, right. had everyone been able to puncture their bags, we're looking at what, $4 million? Well, maybe. It, it would definitely be in the tens of thousands, most likely in the six figures. I don't know if yeah. it would make it up to the sevens, maybe in ideal conditions. But certainly, easily, you would not be surprised if you saw 100,000, 200,000 die. Jeez. It was literally the the difference of those 10 bags not being pure enough. Those little bags happened to be 30% pure instead of – it didn't even have to be 100%. If it was 80 90% pure like the serum they were making before, you would have seen six-figure death tolls. Jeez. And you know what's crazy? So I was, when I first heard about this, when I first heard about this on last podcast on the left, I was like, how did I not know about yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. How has nobody talked about it? And the answer is so fucking simple and makes you feel so bad to be an American, which is – it happened on March 20th, 1995. On March 19th, 1995, was the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, shit. So we didn't oh give God, a fuck right. what was going on in Japan. No, we had no idea. We didn't, we didn't even, wow. Everything was Timothy McVeigh, so nobody was looking at it. And we, this entire thing happened. The, at that time, biggest terrorist attack ever in the world happened. And most Americans have never heard of it. Right, right. Well, because one of our biggest domestic ones right. happened the day before. Once that happened, all the, obviously the authorities finally got on the ball and they're like, well, we think it's this Asahara guy who's been singing about Saren all day. I think it might be <laughs> that dude. Figure. And the one that we picked up Saren samples from. Okay, yeah, it was probably that guy. So they finally went to go bust him. They ended up uh, catching him. He was hiding in a special like secret crawl space in between two walls within, the, within one of their facilities. And He's such a tweaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know they just opened it and he was just in there contorted just like, yeah. what's up, man? <laughs> no, no, I'm always in No, here. I meant to do this. Yeah. By the way, the reason they got so tipped off is when the Tokyo police were planning to raid Asahara's uh, places, they had to request a bunch of gas masks from the military. And when they did that, the files for the military went through a military Om Shinrikyo member who oh, saw that they were shit. ordering 300 gas masks for the Tokyo police. And he's like, I think they're coming, Asahara. Yeah, yeah. So it came because they had people on the inside. So eventually they did bust Asahara again squirreled away in that little crawl space and you might think okay well there you go that's the uh, story's over right no nope because those own members weren't gonna let sleeping dogs lie and they decided they were gonna keep going so while asahara was being imprisoned they tried another gas attack this time it was a hydrogen cyanide gas attack or a cyanide gas attack and what happened was a cleaning lady shows up into the men's room in the Tokyo subway station and next to a vent, which vends out to the rest of the, the station, she notices there's this weird bag. She picks it up and shakes it. And when she shakes it, she breaks the device that is supposed to combine two chemicals within there. And because she breaks that device and it ends up catching fire and keeps those chemicals from combining, those chemicals would have killed approximately 15,000 people if she had gotten there a minute and a half later. Wow. Just by pure chance... She got that in time to stop a, another subway attack. And uh, again, this is Arsahara's in jail. These are people doing it to uh, try and get him out or try and distract as he's in there. Very, very sad stuff. And you might be thinking like, man, does this mean Murai takes over? You know, he was his Riker. He was his number two man. He right, was the head right. of the science and technology department. He must be the guy who takes over Om Shinrikyo when Arsahara goes to jail. But... Mirai was giving a press conference in front of about 100 reporters and members of the public in a public space. He was talking to them shortly after the arrest of Asahara. And as he is talking to them, a man comes up and stabs him to death in front of everybody. That's a shame. Yep. <laughs> oh, so sad. <laughs> Literally. And I, I brought this because here's a, because it was in front of reporters. There is a picture of this man as oh, he's wow. just gotten yeah. stabbed and he's dying. This is from 
Holy Terror, Armageddon in Tokyo, a book about Om Shinrikyo. If you're super curious about Om Shinrikyo, this is a great book to delve into. What I love is how calm his face is. That guy was just stabbed. He's dying. Yeah, Yeah, he's screaming inside. Everything's fine. I have like... Two things. One, the joke, which is he has the face of somebody that realized they left the stove on. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then two, do you think that after getting stabbed with everything that's going on, there might just be a little bit of peace for him knowing that say, it's over? Like, thank yeah. God. Yeah. Because that is, I mean, nobody wants death. As a, like on the chemical instinct of human is to survive, but you know what's going on. You realize how fucked you are. The writing is on the wall. You've just been stabbed. You kind of got him out. Yeah. You know? The guy who did it was a member of uh, Korean organized crime. So probably some connection to Asahara there, but we'll never fully know what happened, who ordered it, how that went down. He might have been part of it. He might have ordered it on himself as a publicity stunt. You never know because Om Shinrikyo is so batshit crazy. Yeah. But that was the rise and fall of Mirai Hadayo. Yeah. So at this point, the cult splits into two pieces, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't know. There's one half that is actually kind of happy-go-lucky and is just like, okay, cool, but like... Yeah, what if comics were real and everything's fine? Don't remember the gas. And then there's another faction that actually moved into Russia. Right. Yeah. So in about 2016, I believe it was, uh, they caught 75 of them in a hotel in Montenegro where they were having an Om Shinrikyo retreat. Yeah. But that's about the last of it. We haven't heard much from them recently. No, and the, the two sects, they went, like you said, they went very different ways. Um, they were both under investigation by the government for a long time. Rightfully the, so. Right. The calmer one, so to speak, was uh, kind of relieved of that investigation. The other one was not. They are right. still looking at them because they still have some weird shady ties. And when you say they caught them in Montenegro, it wasn't just that they caught a bunch of people and they're like, well, you're wearing weird clothes. They're like, there's some spindly-ass, pale, malnourished people here yeah. and something is wrong. And they all have weird blank stares of death and mm-hmm. something is wrong. So... They're clearly carrying on some of Asahara's crazy shit. Well, and a lot of them weren't Asian, which yes, I Russian. know we think of this as like a Japanese cult. A lot of them were Russian. There's actually pictures. No, that's in Asia too. Well. So that is true. Actually, it's Eurasia, but not my Asia. Okay, <laughs> it's good to be here. And Asahara is still alive, yep. awaiting. He got sentenced to death along with 13 of his co-conspirators. Um, <laughs> and by the way, interesting thing: all the death sentences in Japan hanging. That's the only oh, way you can be sentenced to death in Japan. No, to fucking poison him with sarin gas. Right. Put him in yeah, the exactly. gas microwave. Absolutely. Or do the slow strangulation that he did yeah. to a lot of people. Give him the VX on the back of the neck. Any of that stuff. All of it. Well, and they, they it took them a long time to catch all 13. Yeah. Because they caught the last one in about, I think, 2002. Yeah, and some of them flipped on uh, and gave evidence. Uh, there was a doctor who was part of the actual sarin gas attacks. He felt bad about it as it was first happening, and he was the one who came to the police and said, you know, I, this is what happened. Here's where we made it. And he showed them where the gas deposits were because they had a bunch of stuff stockpiled. And for all we know, if he hadn't done that, then much like these people start, did this attack, the cyanide attack later on, that could have happened, too, with the stock reserves of sarin. Because when they raided them, when they finally raided those facilities, it's not like all the sarin gas and all the other chemical weapons were gone. They found tons of it. This wasn't their end-all and be-all. This was the beginning of something really big. Yeah, so there are some books with collections of reflections from survivors as well. Hmm. So I will link those in our show notes. And what was the name of the book uh, with the... So I used three books for most of this research. One was Holy Terror, Armageddon in Tokyo. That's the one where you'll see, actually see the picture of Mirai's demise. 
And next one is Destroying the World to Save It by Robert J. Lifton. That's actually probably the best book that I read on the subject. And then lastly, A Cult at the End of the World by Kaplan and Marshall. All of them are very interesting insights. Again, this was cursory. I advise anybody, you've already said this before in a previous episode, go look at last podcast on the left. They did a multi-episode series and they went in depth in a chronological order, which is a little bit different way to do it. But they looked at a lot of the stuff. And when I was reading this, I've listened to that series three or four times. Yeah. I was reading these books. There's twice as much stuff that goes on with Om Shinrikyo. You just can't fit it all into a fucking podcast. It's a lot. It is a lot. Which book has the most pictures? Uh, (laughs) That would be Holy Terror. (coughs) That would be uh, Everybody Sarin Gasses. Um, (laughs) Everybody Sarin Gasses? The child book. Oh, jeez. That's the one for me. (laughs) So between uh, Asahara and his number one man, Mirai, he was able to basically conquer the world from a poor, blind, fat dude into a billionaire conducting the biggest civilian terrorist strike that was known at the time. Again. I am underachieving. Yes. <laughs> I have eyesight. It's <laughs> really all you need. <laughs> See, I, I got to respect because even though they were poisoning themselves with the Saradin VX, like when you get to the, you know, like we said, when you talk about uranium bombs, you talk about the AK 47s, I'm comfortable. I could do like that stuff. You, hold on. Like you said, yeah. I'm going to pull away from the bomb talk right. looking like this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I could pull that stuff off. That's not that big a deal. You know, Mano, you kind of have Kim Jong-un's haircut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was trying to avoid it, but I have Kim Jong-un's haircut and Om Shinrikyo's shitty beard. I have the worst of both. You don't have a shitty beard. I keep telling you. All right. Thank you. It's not bad. But when you get to sarin gas and VX, that's high-level stuff. I can't make that stuff. Yeah. I thought you said we could make this at home. That's fairly improbable. We could do the anthrax. plutonium bomb. Yeah. No, no, no. No, you can't do the plutonium one. You can do the uranium one and the anthrax and the botulism. Let's just go ahead and say you shouldn't do any of it. None of this. Don't do any of this at home. Do not fucking do this. I swear to God. (laughs) And for those of you wondering, when when Marie walked in, Marie got here uh, after Mondo and I got here. So we'd been sitting here with the whiteboard list for a while. Right. Uh, Marie, it was the first thing she saw and it just says... Helmets, AKs, microwave, laser, nuclear, anthrax, botulism, VX, sarin. And Marie knew nothing about this cult coming in. No, I didn't. I actually came in totally blind. (laughs) And uh, I knew nothing. So this was a big... I had to tone it down, too, because I couldn't include everything. This was just the highlight reel. There was a lot more that they did. And here's something to think about it when you talk about this. This isn't Jonestown that started decades before the incident. Yeah, this is seven years. This this entire span goes from the mid-80s to the early, I guess, mid-90s. But like yeah. this goes so fast from mm-hmm. one poor guy's single apartment where he's teaching yoga to compounds with helicopters, sarin gas, trying to buy nuclear weapons and make them on their ranch in Australia type stuff. Yeah, this is your kid getting into the second grade and then bombing everything. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Here's the other thing i just like to say. You said you know how to make a lot of this yeah. shit. Yeah. I know I was late. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when you're thinking about how you know how to make all that stuff, right. remember that I brought pizza. That's true. That's true. So. I'm on keto, though. I can't do pizza. Uh, yeah, you're screwed it's either way. Things. Plus, just trust me. When I do the whole supervillain thing, I'm going prions. They're much better. They'll kill people. It's they, there's no there's nothing that can stop them. Once you get it, you're infected for the rest of your life. You're dead already. It's 100 percent mortality rate. But why, dude? But why? Just in case. Just it's, in it's case. So in case I need to kill a bunch of people. Oh, what? God. This, why are we friends? <laughs> and so, Prions will also live so in the soil. You. Yeah, that's yeah. No, that's right. Prions will also live in the soil for centuries. So it'll, that's another good one there. Uh, but then you're wrecking the soil that you would have to use to grow potatoes. Yeah. Just you're like, really soiling it. Oh, uh, like Matt Damon. It's good to in the be Martian. here. Good to be here, everybody. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Well, thank you. That was so yes. great. Um, I think we'll just say don't drink the sarin gas. <laughs> Don't inhale the sarin gas. Or apparently anything that Bobby gives you. Yeah. Have fun with that Coke Zero. Anything that Bobby gives you. (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't read it before, but it actually here says uh, Coke Zero chance of living. (laughs) Okay. All right. And bye. 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 You have to do it too. Bye.